As I'm stepping into Topologies number one, which is an installation made by the London-based collective UVA, specifically for an ex-museum, a cloud of smoke wraps around me. I seem to be in a long tunnel or some sort of corridor, but the smoke makes it very hard to see the end of the room. Looking up, I can't really tell how high the ceiling is either. Not only because of the smoke, but also because of a cyan plane of light right above me. The light plane slowly moves and suddenly another wall of light appears right in front of me, blocking me off from the other visitors that were standing right in front of me just a second ago. As the war goes on, the space is constantly reshaped by the planes of light, and I am walking through those spaces, completely disoriented but incredibly intrigued. But is it art? Let's go around the museum and ask some visitors and hosts what they think. It's a hard question, but it's like kind of the vibe that you get, like the feelings that you give. Like it was a whole atmosphere and I was just like quiet. Everything was quiet. I was just enjoying it and it just gave me a good feeling. So, yeah, that's that's why it's out to me. I mean, you can't really say what's art and what isn't art. So, of course, it's art. But I really like about UVA that you kind of like combine architecture and the room itself with the way people um, perceive it. I think it's art because uh, the purpose of the work is to show a phenomenon of like uh, how um, shapes can be reformed. And they use a really creative uh, way to show that. And I see it definitely as art. Welcome to the second episode of But Is It Art, a podcast by Next Museum in Amsterdam, the home of new media art at the intersection of art, science, sound and tech. In this first season, we're exploring the artworks from our inaugural exhibition, Shifting Proximities. This episode, we focus on topologies by UVA. I would describe topologies as um, a kind of continuation or an evolution of a body of work that I refer to as being light architecture or programmable architecture. This is Matt Clark, the creative director of a collective called United Visual Artists, or UVA for short. For a long time now, I've been really interested and fascinated by the potential of light as a physical medium or to to create the illusion of a physical material, um, even though it has no matter at all, you know, it's just photons. And obviously the, the potential of that allows you to kind of reconstruct and reconstruct spaces in, in an instant. And that's kind of exciting uh, as a potential for me. With five 360-degree laser beams spread out over the tunnel, Matt was able to create walls with light that reconstructed the space. Even though, like Matt says, light is just photons, the walls feel thick and impenetrable. But why is the work called topologies, and what does that even mean? For this work, I, I think we're kind of interested in this idea of, of a topology that had had a kind of mathematical reference point. You know, if you look up the word topologies, uh, there's two aspects to it I quite like, which is the original Greek um, meaning of topologies, place, location, and study, which I think nicely references the site-specific nature of, of the work. But in mathematics, you know, it's referred to as a 
study of geometrical properties and spatial relations that are in constant deformation, creating shifting subspaces. That I've just read that off my phone, actually. <laughs> um, the, the work as an experience is super minimal, really, but the, the complexity comes out of the shifting compositions that are exploring this threshold between random and, and order in, in terms of the physical composition. A quick search online and I was catapulted into the world of algebraic topology, like this lecture by mathematician Pierre Albin, which is entirely available on YouTube. Uh, okay, so uh, what is algebraic topology? What is topology? So, uh, topology uh, starts in 1736 uh, with Euler. In this case, he started uh, topology because he got a letter from uh, a mayor of a town in Germany. And uh, the mayor was telling him about uh, Kennisberg and their bridges. So they have a river and they have an island and then there's like a peninsula. And then they had bridges connecting like so. And uh, the letter claimed that every Sunday the citizens would go on a walk around the town and they would play a game where they would try to walk across all seven bridges without ever repeating a bridge. And they hadn't been able to do it. And so uh, this mayor wanted to know uh, if Euler could figure out how to do it so he could impress his friends. Don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with algebra. And, but this uh, little piece from the lecture already reveals so much that, about the uh, artwork. That, no, it is rooted in space, shapes, that, uh, but also connectivity and proximity, which are not only real mathematical terms, but also the overall theme in this exhibition. From a mathematical point of view, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, maths that go into the programming of the work, how we kind of visualize it, how we understand the space through software and sequencing the, the experience. But for me personally, you know, I'm not a programmer. I'm, I'm always thinking of the experience, the physical experience. And, 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 and so there's a dialogue between you know, how I see the experience unfolding from a very kind of visceral point of view. And, and with much of the work that we make, actually, it's, it's a sort of combination of high-tech mathematical problems and the human experience, you know, the physical experience. How is it going to feel for the viewer? And, and, and they, they, they sort of come from opposing ends, really, and meet somewhere in the middle. And then that's where we land quite often. Let's head back to the museum. What makes this long corridor so appealing for a work that plays with topology? But with a corridor, you're always challenged with this, this kind of issue where people are just going to want to walk through and they don't know where to stop, right? Unless you put physical things in space. And, and that's something we didn't want to do. And, that, and that's really, I guess, why we gravitated towards the idea of topologies and, and, and the idea of programmable architecture, because you can create the illusion of uh, these physical spaces that might make people think twice about how they navigate that space. The combination of light and architecture, as Matt describes, is not something new. Think of how the Pantheon in Rome was built so that the sun would shine on its doors every year to celebrate the city's birthday. To know how light and architecture can work together, I biked to Amsterdam North and met up with someone who is much more knowledgeable about it than me. After catching up and having lunch in our studio in an old copper factory, we started recording. My name is Oma van der Burgwal. 
And uh, I, uh, I work as an artist together with uh, Anne van der Ven um, and also currently studying um, a master's in architecture. And I work together with Atelier Blik uh, to making nature inclusive materials and eventually buildings. Just like me, Alma was part of the next team from the beginning. And she knows all the artworks like the back of her hand. Now she's fully focusing on her master's in architecture and her art practice, which is why I'm here. And how would you say then um, the light is used specifically to create a space? Yeah, I would sort of divide it into into two things. So I think by inviting these unconventional materials um, uh, into the realm of architecture, um, it sort of acknowledges the fact that that architecture is more than the walls around us. It, it also plays with our senses and our, and our emotions. Unlike anything else we encounter in daily life, uh, which, is, which always appears to be quite flexible and, and ever-changing, uh, architecture always claims to be the stable entity, right? So, so we don't expect from our architectural environment to, to be subdued to changes, which in some cases is, is quite quite nice eh? so so if you have a storm like yesterday and Eunice doesn't blow your roof off you're very thankful um, but that also also means that it doesn't adapt to our emotional need and I would say that inviting this light in uh, and changing the parameters of that space it, it sort of comments on on this flexible need uh, of space that we have just by showing the dimensions that space has. So this link between architecture and the human senses or our emotional state of being is very strong. And the use of light plays a big role in it as well. well yeah, in architecture, light has a huge impact on, on, on us uh, in general. There's, there's rules in Netherlands and I think in a lot of countries of how far a kitchen should be away from your window so you have enough daylight in it. And what, what this work by UVA does is that it limits space with light. So you've seen it, these parameters keep on changing. At some point it just looks like, like you can't see the end of the space. So it constantly limits your vision and while you go through it, um, it sort of opens up to you, which doesn't do it at first instance. So you, you, can't, you can never really get a grip of what that space in, in complete shape looks like. You constantly keep on being surprised and being showed little by little a bit more about the space. Let's do a little exercise. Where are you now? Are you in a dark room? A well-lit room? What kind of light is it? Sunlight? Artificial light? Would you describe that light as warm and soft? Or cool and harsh? And how does the lighting make you feel? As long as, as architecture or what we what we see as architecture has been around, uh, has played a huge role. Like even if you think of the most basic or primal need architecture provides is, is shelter, even in a cave you have to do with light. And especially in, in, in old uh, Middle Eastern Persian, uh, uh, Japanese, Chinese cultures, you, have, you find a lot of examples of, of sort of poetry being connected to architecture. I just think that the coming of artificial lighting in architecture gives us the option to use another tool to play with than just daylight. 
And not only architects gladly use artificial light as a new tool for their art. Many artists from different fields embraced the new possibilities of light and played around with it. So did Matt from UVA. You know, my fascination working with light really started way back at the beginning of UVA when we were creating um, scenography for performing artists. And then we started working with light and, and using um, light, light sources as pixels, really, and, and to create this kind of dynamic environment. But I always was fascinated, you know, in rehearsals, for example, when, when the band leaves and everyone goes home, and quite often it's people like us who are the last ones there, frantically programming away when you've got some peace and quiet. And I always remember sort of getting on stage and then going through these different kind of sequences that we had programmed. It, it was just an extremely different experience than being out as someone in the audience or front of house watching a stage, which is sort of quite confined. Even though it's big, you know, your field of view, you're looking at this one area of the stage compared to being on the stage and being in the environment that you're illuminating. I was just fascinated how these beams of light create a sense of something architectural, but not just that, how like at the flick of a finger, you know, the color of the environment, the way that you're constructing the space through light could dramatically change how you feel, felt about yourself, how you feel about the environment. So you could instantly change how people how you feel right your, your mood the potential of creating these kind of emotive um, spaces was really the, the starting point and the fascination of using light as a as a sort of a medium in its purest form light has been used to tell stories and create emotions think of how film uses light in different ways to create an atmosphere or to highlight certain elements in the image the absence of light in film is sometimes just as important as the presence. But in film you have other narrative clues. Like the images, the words, the music, the body language of the actors, you name it. Anthony McCall is a filmmaker who takes it as a challenge to make films with just the purest form of cinema there is. Light beams. Yet he was able to tell a story, also using the space and how people move within that space, as an important factor. In the 60s, there was a whole art movement dedicated to using light as a way of transforming space and creating emotions. Led by James Turrell and inspired by the minimalist movement in California, the light and space movement turned light into a material, just as powerful as paint or a camera. Already decades ago, they transformed spaces with the use of light, and they have inspired a whole new generation of artists. I think there's obviously sort of reference points and, and that were influenced to some degree from by these, you know, these original pioneers, light art. I think how we approach the work and how we started to investigate the ideas that we're interested in came from quite a genuine, different kind of starting point as i mentioned earlier with this with it originating in in the performing arts and emerging evolving out of that and and the idea of performative spaces i think the starting point was quite different because i think of people like robert Irwin, who's another kind of very famous light artist and i think robert Irwin talked about how he was just sitting in his studio one day 
and he was he was painting these pictures where he's just painting lines across a canvas for about five years, driving himself mad. And then he noticed just the the light, you know, projection of light coming through the window onto the onto his studio wall, and how that was changing slowly over time, and 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 how that made him feel, and it was just so much more profound and interesting than this square canvas on the wall that he'd been obsessing over for years. But what other than the starting point makes topologies different from the light art of Robert Irwin and James Turrell? The combination of things, I think, is the, the relatively new thing. Um, being able to take a laser and, and electromechanical elements and, and software and being able to bring them together and, and create something completely new, I think, is what has created the biggest shift in output, which comes under the banner of new media for me. It's the combination of these things, the endless combination of these different elements, technological elements. I guess where we're heading now and what we started to, um, when we started working with light, we had the ability to sort of program it essentially in a way that became very controlled, right? And, and I think that's probably where we, our trajectory went in a slightly different direction and why I refer to this programmable architecture because, you know, all of a sudden you can program space. You can program the, the dynamics of an environment, which was very difficult to do, I assume, in the 60s and 70s. And this is the specialty of UVA. They use contemporary technology to control light like it couldn't be controlled before. And maybe in a way, they're also controlling our reaction and emotion as well. This was the second episode of But Is It Art, a podcast by me, Victor van der Velde, for Next Museum. Keep your eyes peeled for the next episode, where we will dive into the connection between humans and nature. Are we a part of a whole system, or are we more of a bystander? In the meantime, come and visit us. We're a new media art museum in the Netherlands, seeking, showing, and questioning what's next. See you there. <laughs>